Nearby units identify and respond. I dumped my coffee out the window, grabbed the mic, and told dispatch we were two blocks away as Conklin accelerated up the hill, then braked so that our car slewed across 4th Street, blocking traffic. We bolted from the car, Conklin yelling, Lindsay, watch out, there could be secondary explosions. The air was opaque, with roiling smoke, rank with burning rubber, plastic, and human flesh. I stopped running, wiped my sleeve across my stinging eyes, and fought against my gag reflex. I took in the hellish scene, and my hair literally lifted away from the back of my neck. Market Street is a major artery. It should have been pulsing with commuter traffic, but instead it looked like Baghdad after a suicide bomb. People were screaming, running in circles, blinded by panic and a screen of smoky haze. I called Chief Trachio, reported that I was the first officer on the scene. What's happening, Sergeant? I told him what I saw, five dead on the street, two more at the bus stop. <coughs> An unknown number of victims, alive or dead, still in their cars. I coughed into the phone. You okay, Boxer? Yes, sir. Water streamed from fire hoses, dousing flame, metal sizzled, and the air turned rancid. I found Chuck Hanny, arson investigator and explosion expert, stooping outside the school bus's side door. Hanny looked up, said, God-awful disaster, Lindsay. He walked me through what he called a catastrophic explosion, showed me the two adult-sized crispy critters curled between the double row of seats near the driver's side, pointed out that the bus's front tires were full of air, the back tires flat. The explosion started in the rear, not the engine compartment. And I found this. Hanny indicated rounded pieces of glass, conduction tubes, and blue plastic shards melted into a mass behind the bus door. Imagine the explosive force he said, pointing to a metal projectile embedded in the wall. That's a triple-beam balance scale, he said, and I'm guessing the blue plastic is from a cooler. Only took a few gallons of ether and a spark to do all this. A wave of his hand to indicate the three blocks of utter destruction. I heard hacking coughs and boots crunching on glass, Conklin, his six-foot-two frame materializing out of the haze. There's something you guys should see before the bomb squad throws us out of here. Hanny and I followed Conklin across the intersection to where a man's body lay folded up against a lamppost. Conklin said, A witness saw this guy fly out of the bus's windshield when it blew. The dead man was Hispanic, his face sliced up, his hair in dyed red twists, matted with blood, his body barely covered in the remnants of an electric blue sweatshirt and jeans, his skull bashed in from his collision with the lamppost. From the age lines in his face, I guessed this man had lived a hard forty years. I dug his wallet out of his hip pocket, opened it to his driver's license. His name is Juan Gomez. According to this, he's only twenty-three. Hanny bent down, peeled back the dead man's lips. I saw two broken rows of decayed stubs where his teeth had once been. A tweaker, Hanny said. He was probably the cook. Lindsay, 
This case belongs to narcotics, maybe the DEA. Hanny punched buttons on his cell phone as I stared down at Juan Gomez's body. First visible sign of methamphetamine use is rotten teeth. It takes a couple of years of food and sleep deprivation to age a meth head 20 years. By then, the drug would have eaten away big hunks of his brain. Gomez was on his way out before the explosion. So the bus was a mobile meth lab, said Conklin. Hanny was on hold for narcotics. Yep, he said, until it blew all to hell. Part One, Bagman Jesus. Cindy Thomas buttoned her lightweight Burberry trench coat, said, Morning, Pinky, as the doorman held open the front doors of the Blakely Arms.